0: using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Hello there, my friends. Welcome to this end-of-the-year episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. We have made it to the end of 2020, and that is something in itself. We did it. But maybe it was the hardest year of your life, or maybe something about all the disruption in the world was good for you. It reshaped your priorities. It offered a different opportunity. But whether your 2020 was full of loss and loneliness, or whether there was beauty amidst the chaos, or both of those things, here we are at the end of the year. And I am a believer in the power of endings and beginnings. I do not think the dates on the calendar are arbitrary. And I am not one of those people who thinks that January 1st is just any other day. Our culture and our calendars and our holiday schedules, that marks this time as an ending and a beginning. And because we do this collectively... To me, there's a real magic in the air this week. It feels really natural to close up this season and look ahead to the next. So, right now is the perfect time to work through the 10 questions to ask yourself at the end of the year. Those questions that I went through on episode 95. I posted the actual questions on social media But I also highly encourage you to listen to the episode and not just glance through the questions. I talk through each question in depth and it helps, I think, to get the most out of answering those end of year prompts, whether you're doing it in a journal or using them as a conversation starter. As much as I do love journaling, there is something very nice about talking through 2020 in particular because it's been so unique So think about texting the questions to a friend or doing a date night with your spouse and spending some time sharing and listening to one another's answers to the 10 questions to ask yourself at the end of the year from episode 95. Because this episode today, in this last week of the year, it comes from my own journaling and meditating and conversing. About those 10 questions, I was really noticing some themes that kept repeating themselves. It really got me thinking about what I really want to remember about 2020 and what I want to take from the many, many (laughs) learning and growth experiences that this year offered. Now, please note that these takeaways that I'm going to share today, they are my personal takeaways for the year. They are not universal truths. They are definitely not historical takeaways about national or international events. These are just my thoughts on the year documented here. So here are my 10 takeaways from 2020, the main lessons I learned and what I hope I do not forget in no particular order. Number one, my friendship communication needs a radical overhaul. I shared a little bit more about this in episode 87, three mistakes I've made recently, but one of the things that the forced quarantine shined a light on for me was that I am woefully lacking in some of my friendship skills. Now, I'm lucky enough to have wonderful friends in my life. I have childhood friends that mean the world to me. I have a great group of mom friends that really understand my daily life and my family culture. And then, you know, everything in between. Online friends, professional acquaintances, like all the general people that accumulate in your life in 40 plus years. And if 2020 really showed us who our friends are, have you guys seen that meme that's going around, it's going viral. If that's true, well, then I failed on almost all fronts. I am the friend that is being passive-aggressively questioned in those shaming posts about knowing who your real friends are because after a series of missteps with friends, different friends where I messed up in different ways, I can see that I rely on my friendships in a somewhat selfish and definitely outdated mode that will not make it for the long haul And is not the type of person that I want to be. Now, I'm not just beating up on myself here. And I promise you that I extend all kinds of grace to myself and to you and to everyone who was battling an insane year of weird priorities and mental health concerns and all kinds of things like that, which is to say almost all of us. And that I do not expect in the middle of a global pandemic, I do not expect for everyone to stay on top of every single text thread or sending birthday cards or everyone having the capacity to lend a listening ear or whatever constitutes friendship for you in your circles. All the grace for that in 2020. But for me, 2020 was a friendship hot mess of laziness and false assumptions and lack of boundaries or occasionally too many boundaries. And I think your gut, your inner voice, it knows when you need a new system for your relationships. And that is what happened to me when I realized that I was hurting some people's feelings by a lack of overall communication And in other ways, I was giving some people more time and attention than was deserved, meaning like theoretically they weren't a top priority, but in reality, that friendship or that relationship was demanding a lot of attention and just taking a lot of energy. So after a long talk with one friend, a full-blown argument with another friend All of these were months ago, but it was really something that was a big part of my year. I am reevaluating how I communicate with people I love. Texting versus email versus phone calls or phone dates, which is really effective for some of my friendships. They just work well when we have like a standing phone date versus the Voxer voice app. This is an app that I use almost every single day. I love it. It's great for keeping in touch. And I really want to be mindful of letting people know I care about them, not just assuming that they know that, even if that means like making a list, a literal list of who to check in on or who to write a quick note, who to make plans with, et cetera. And this is an idea I've kind of had to get used to. I'm a little resistant to this, honestly. Some part of me thinks it shouldn't be this hard to maintain good relationships, but the other part is screaming at me that when I am stressed or overwhelmed or having a lot of anxiety, which 2020 was full of, of course, the first thing to go for me is communication. I go super inward and shut all the way down. And that's fine for a few days if I'm having a hard time. But long term for friendships, it's just incredibly detrimental. Disconnecting myself from others and dropping the ball repeatedly, it just makes everything worse. It's like getting drunk when you're already sick. Like this is not going to make you feel better. You'll actually feel sicker and you'll lose a little bit of life dealing with the recovery time. P.S. This is not the right moment to use sickness analogies, but I think you know what I'm getting at. The first takeaway from 2020 for me is that my friendship skills need a radical overhaul. Number two of the top 10 takeaways from 2020. Hiring help changes everything. This year after... 11 years I've been doing online work for almost exactly 11 years. I have been doing it almost completely alone, or I guess I mean independently. I have never hired people to help me. And this year I did. And it made an enormous difference in my state of frazzle, in my general mood, in my negative self-talk, in all of my limiting belief systems. I swear to you I could do a whole podcast episode about just this, and I might eventually, but hear me when I say that this hiring help piece is probably the biggest takeaway of the whole year for me. I had been operating in my business from a place of fear and ignorance and control when it came to running my business, the business of this podcast, the business of being an author. I thought that these things required struggle until like one made it big, quote unquote, made it big, and then a person could afford to hire help. I just really had a hard time with the spend money to make money idea. I could not wrap my brain around it. It felt irresponsible and frivolous, frankly. And so I've always gone it alone, like for all these years. I've made money over the years with my online work, but I never made enough to me to justify hiring an extra person. And it was really important to me not to dip into our family finances. It is not a secret that my husband's career is what pays the mortgage around here. But I did not want to and never have used that money to fund this thing that I do on the side, even as the years went on and it became more and more of a legitimate career and not a thing on the side, and then became more and more of an actual business. Now, even as I'm saying this out loud, I can hear the falsehoods and the shame and these limiting beliefs that I've been working under for over a decade now. But two things happened that shook things up that gave me some wiggle room. First, I got a solid book deal and that came with an advance. And then also I started running ads on this show, which became more consistent weekly revenue than I had had before. So armed with these two events, I hired my first real assistant. I'd sort of halfway worked with an assistant briefly before, but it wasn't a formal thing. This was the real deal. Someone to help me with email and scheduling and management and the giveaways and the show notes and just so many things that eat up a lot of time and taking those things off my plate completely, but while they're still getting done by someone else, it has been a huge mental load off for me. I went from thinking about my to-do list, like every minute basically, to just having some breathing room being able to focus on the tasks that I do best and letting someone more organized take on the other stuff. Hello, Caroline. Thank you for making my life easier in 2020. I also outsourced a few things to professionals that I had convinced myself I could do myself. (laughs) And the difference between me DIYing these things and hiring a dadgum pro is like, Like the difference is so comically stark that I am kicking myself that I didn't invest in it sooner. And there were a few of those this year, but the most notable one was hiring Braid Creative for all the beautiful rebranding that you see on the website and social media, and that you will soon see in the Share Your Stuff book companion journal. That's one of the pre-order bonuses. If you pre-order my book and outsourcing something that I was doing myself, poorly. I was doing it poorly. It is maybe the best feeling in the world. This is not an ad. This is not sponsored or anything. I paid for Braid Creatives branding services. But I'm just such a fan of their work that I want to shout them out here and also just talk about the difference between working with a professional in your business and trying to shoestring some of these things yourself. Kathleen and her team are a dream to work with And it just made a big difference in taking my podcast and website from looking like a DIY to looking like a professional entity, which it is. And then also finally, just in December, so this one is still new and fresh, but I started working with a podcast editor. Hello, Colleen. And that has been the biggest gift of my time I actually really like podcast editing. It's very fun. It's satisfying to me. I think I'm a pretty good editor, but it's just become a numbers game on my time and it takes hours and hours every week to edit this show. And so hiring someone who totally got the vibe and the rhythm of the show and that I trusted with my words almost immediately, well, that is just invaluable. And so in the last month, literally just in December of working with an editor, it has been like freedom on my schedule now I do have to say did all of this hiring affect my bottom line as a business it did like drastically I made the most money I've ever made with online work in 2020 and then I also spent the most and seeing those numbers on the paper is hard it's like sort of demoralizing honestly to grow as a business but not grow as a business if you know what I mean But all of these hires have been worth it and taught me lessons that I seriously should have learned a long time ago. But I was scared. I had some old ideas of what small business life looks like. And for many years, I didn't have a lot of mentorship or guidance in this direction. I was always trying to learn on my own, but without any accountability or experience. And so... These have been good, hard, necessary lessons for me on the career side. And of course, a lot of small businesses are struggling if not having to close because of everything that has happened in 2020. And so I'm very aware that I'm able to continue on because I have a safety net in that this business isn't our family's sole income. So I do want to acknowledge that. But I also want to encourage other creators or those who work with creators to think about what can possibly be outsourced. It really has changed my business. It could change your business. It definitely can affect your time and stress levels. Doing every single piece of work myself wasn't actually helping my business to grow or to make more money. So hiring people who were better at their specific roles, it just made the whole machine work better. And that's just An enormous takeaway for me in 2020. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. and use promo code TELL for 15% off and free shipping available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind and I am always looking for a new one to download and I recently ran across two dots and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five Thousand distinct puzzles with various power ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is 2Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger 2Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Okay, number three of the top 10 takeaways for 2020. Watching TV is fun. (laughs) Okay, stay with me because this is a legitimate takeaway. I do not watch very much TV. And in a normal year, I only watch movies like in a flurry between November and February, just in time for awards season because I like the award shows. I've never had anything against TV. Like Jeff and I loved watching Game of Thrones together. Once a year or so, we'll binge some prestige TV. Like we did Breaking Bad a few years ago. That was one of our favorites. This year I got obsessed with Succession. I love that show so much. So it's not like I'm anti-TV or anything, but definitely I could go weeks, maybe months even, and never watch a single scripted TV show. Well, here we are, enter the pandemic. We had a lot of time on our hands in the evenings as a family, especially because we had no kid activities, we had no social lives, and I was getting most of my work done during the day. Whereas before in our family schedule, that often meant that my workday was interrupted, like for mom life. And so then most nights after dinner, I had stuff to finish up on the computer. Most of my evenings between dinner and bedtime prior to 2020 are spent working for a few hours or maybe reading, which is obviously a huge passion of mine. But here we are in this year with hours to fill in a different way. And Jeff and I, sometimes with kids, sometimes not, we started watching good TV or movies. And I know it kind of sounds dumb, but I really enjoyed it. Like, I realized that I enjoyed it. And I totally get why people do this every single day. So after a few months of watching more movies and more TV than I had in literally years, I finally admitted how much that I enjoyed it as a pastime, and how bonding it was for our family, actually, because we would have these great conversations that would come out of watching something together. And so this is a major takeaway from such a consequential year because it does affect how I think about our evenings and what we make time for as a family. And changing my perspective on TV and movies being something that would genuinely enhance my day... Instead of being a time waster or something you only do like when there's nothing else to do, that's a pretty big deal. It's kind of a major shift. So yeah, it's a takeaway. But moving on. Number four, my kids are capable of more than I thought. So Jeff and I are trying to raise grounded kids in Los Angeles, and that can be a challenge because L.A., Is its own kind of bubble. I'm very aware of that. But Jeff and I both grew up in great families and parenting is important to us and all of that. And so somewhere along the way, I don't know why, but I do think we've become pretty lax in what we expect out of the kids. And I just didn't really realize how lax we'd gotten about it until we were all quarantined together in the house for weeks on end. And so listen, there's a lot we learned about one another as a family, especially in those first three months when LA was in total lockdown, we barely left the house at all for weeks and weeks at a time. And because we were home all the time, the house got dirtier, there was like a million dishes every day, screen time rules went out the window, like a lot of our regular family life where the schedule was the priority, like work and school and activities and social stuff... All of that is what usually dictated when we ate or when we relaxed or home projects. And now suddenly there was none of that and we were together all the time. So I started out of pure necessity. I started giving the kids harder tasks and more chores and bigger responsibilities. And I didn't love it at first because it did feel a little uncomfortable to trust these little people with stuff normally done by adults like cooking or giving the dog a bath or vacuuming the stairs with a vacuum that is bigger than they are so it was weird for us but it was so good and they learned how to do things that I had not taught them yet like laundry was another one they just rose to the occasion for the most part I mean it wasn't seamless like don't get me wrong (laughs) They're kids still, and there was resistance sometimes. But time and time again, they proved that they were capable of more than I would have given them credit for. We also put them in charge entirely of their schoolwork. Now, my kids are old enough and tech-savvy enough to do that. They also have very involved teachers, so I know that this remote learning has been really hard on a lot of families and has been very wonky in different school systems and that kind of thing. But it was still pretty crazy to watch them learn how to navigate Zoom meetings on their own and to do school projects completely independently, things that would have mostly been completed in a classroom or at least among their peers. They had to manage it all themselves at home. And I can see that part of that's a bummer, obviously, because I wish that wasn't how their grade school years were going, but it was still just really incredible to watch these people that you're raising learn to navigate this hard thing at the same time that I'm learning to navigate it. And seeing their personalities shine or struggle, it just, it definitely affected our family culture permanently, I feel like, which also brings me to number five of my top 10 takeaways for 2020. Number five is, Wherever you go, there you are. Now, that's kind of a saying. It's also a book by John Cabot Zinn. I read that book years ago, but I don't think that it sunk in what that phrase really means until this year. Because truthfully, I'm kind of a fan of changing up your scenery as a way to gain perspective. This is one of the main reasons that I love to travel. My big story that we talked about back on episode 77 when we talked about big stories, mine is about changing my life by changing my location. And there's one part of me who really believes that physically leaving somewhere can make a huge difference in your mind, in your body, in your spirit. But then this year, that belief was turned on its head for me, among other things. Because after 11 weeks of lockdown in L.A., where Jeff and the kids, they did not leave the house except for one single time when we drove to the beach. I was the one who was doing all the grocery shopping and all of that. The kids and Jeff were so homebound in the beginning of the pandemic. And so after three months of this isolation, we decided to leave L.A. and go to our lake house for a few months Just like we do every summer, we were able to travel there safely. And I really thought that when we got to an area of the country that was not locked down, I thought we would feel better and freer and that all those months of fear and stress in California would be left behind. Well, turns out, wherever you go, there you are. We did not feel better at the lake. It did not feel better to be in a state taking COVID less seriously. The death toll continued to rise and getting out of the city didn't really change our mood or our perspective in the way that we were hoping. Looking back, this probably should have been more obvious than it was. The country this summer was so divided and the news was terrible and hard, regardless of where you laid your head at night. But I think we were just so used to, in regular life, being able to change up our surroundings and have that make a huge difference to how we felt. And so it was jarring, on top of everything else, to make a big decision like this. Because moving to the lake house was a big decision for us this year, of course. But to make a decision expecting one outcome and it just not be that. So that is something I will remember about this year for sure. Wherever you go, there you are. Now, number six, I don't need perfect conditions to do good work. This is another takeaway that will affect my life enormously in the future, and that was also built around a false story. So I've operated now for a long time with the idea that I need a lot of space, a lot of time, and a lot of silence to do good work. I have told myself and my family that I require absolute quiet to write well, and not only quiet, but like hours of quiet, a lot of alone time. This is why when I was writing my book, I went to hotels for long weekends, and I was also used to like long stretches of the weekdays while the kids were in school when I could write and think and putter and journal and Whatever I convinced myself was my required process. Well, this year I turned my manuscript in, my very first draft of my very first book. I mean, it wasn't the first first draft, but it was the first working draft. I turned that in on February 24th and it came back from the editor, marked all up in red, needing tons of rewrites on like, I don't know, March 6th or something. And so basically the week before everything shut down, I was handed the most important work of my life and given a deadline. And so from March until May, the most stressful time of the year, when I was not at all used to having Jeff and the kids home all day, every day, also, you know, mindset wise, we were very fearful about this virus. For those few months in the spring, I was working with an editor going back and forth with drafts of the book and i had to do it under these less than ideal circumstances there was no peace and quiet there were no long stretches of silence i could not find a centered place of calm or peacefulness but i just had to do it anyway this was my job like i was being paid for it and if i wanted to make the release date like everything was on a schedule and you know what i did good work in that time. I didn't phone it in. I did cry a lot. (laughs) I did walk around in a robe with dirty hair for days. I snapped at the kids and I zoned out on my phone too much. But I did it. I wrote and I edited and it was work I was proud of. So, sure, I still prefer to work in the quiet, but it's just a preference How many times have I held myself back from a writing session or from starting something cool or interesting because I told myself that the conditions weren't just as I pictured them? This was a good lesson for me and also maybe a turning point for me in my career or at the very least in my maturity. When I have control over my environment, I will exercise it, of course. But if I don't, I can still do good work. This is just one of the many examples this year of loosening my grip on perfect circumstances and seeing what good can come out of things that are held a lot more loosely. I needed to learn this and I really started to. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. and use code U, Y-O-U. So number seven of the 10 top takeaways of the year will not surprise anyone who has listened to this show this year because I think I managed to work it into every single episode somehow, even if it was sort of indirectly. But number seven is stillness is the key. First of all, that's the title of a book I read this summer by Ryan Holiday, but aside from the book, it is a major, major, major part of my year, and I cannot let myself forget it. Sitting in stillness almost every single day, just stillness, not meditation, not journaling, just setting my timer and sitting in stillness, it has brought new layers of myself forth. Or rather, it has like peeled back everything external that we rely on, like appearances, skills, words, everything. And it has reminded me of who I am when it's just me, alone, with me. When I'm not trying to figure out a problem, I'm not trying to think something through, I am literally just sitting there and letting whatever comes up, come up. This practice, which is so simple and free and powerful, especially when done repetitively, like daily is what I mean by that. This has reminded me of who little girl Lara is and who I want to be and who I already am. We all have so much noise in our life. A lot of it is noise that I enjoy, okay? Social media, podcasts. TV as mentioned even just our own thoughts are noisy and screaming a lot of the time and so sitting in stillness being quiet even when my brain is noisy is truly what my life is about right now it is my work in many ways you know every year is busy right like in whatever ways that we choose busy busy with work busy with babies Busy with school, busy with dating, however we fill our time. And this year was a very unusual flavor of busy, but it was busy. So suddenly we were cooking more meals than we were used to, or we were tending to our mental health or to the actual health of others. There was still a ton on our plates, even with everything that was removed in 2020. So the stillness for me became a lifeline. And then I almost got like addicted to it. It was just so nice just to sit there and let my brain go crazy and then settle. Remember what was important. Remember what I wanted out of the day or the next few hours or the weekend. So as you hear me harp on sitting in stillness, if you haven't tried it yet, this is your week. Start with just five minutes. No limits on what to think about or what not to think about. Just sit there. See what happens. And then kind of the opposite of that is number eight. If stillness is a major takeaway, the next takeaway is about (laughs) non-stillness. Sharing. Number eight is that not sharing feeds my anxiety, and makes me feel sick. You knew I was going to throw a mind-body connection one in here, right? Didn't you know it? Your body will tell you everything you need to know. This is not a fact that I like because I often do not like what my body is telling me because I'm not great, I'm not even good at treating my body like a temple. However, the fact remains, your body is communicating with you all the time, And it would behoove both of us if we paid more attention to it. But as far as the actual takeaway is concerned, I realized this year that staying quiet and keeping the peace when it comes to things that matter to me only keeps the peace for other people. The people around me or the people following me on social media or in conversation with me in real life, They might be blissed out on how neutral and a love and light I'm being. Meanwhile, I get rashes on my body and breakouts and stomach aches and headaches, and I am just generally not my best self. As we've discussed before, I've gone through a belief evolution over the last decade or so, so I have a lot of empathy for all kinds of belief systems, like politically or religiously or financially or even morally but I have often let that empathy, that understanding for different sides of the issue, keep me quiet, out of respect, out of not needing a lot of confrontation in my life right now. And about half of that time, that's probably the right call. I do not think that hearts and minds are changed in moments of lashing out or like recklessly posting something egregious on social media. But then I found myself, in the year 2020, made sick and furious by this form of people-pleasing. Especially when the respectful tone only went one direction. Like, I felt like I couldn't sleep at night with my silence as the year raged on. And so I made some things clear with some people in my life. And I made some definitive statements on social media. And... Some of my relationships suffered and changed. And I lost followers, of course. And it is not easy for me to strongly disagree publicly or privately about important matters. Like it sucks really for people to be on such radically different pages about the things in life that are important. But you know what? I weathered it just fine. My rashes cleared up when I stopped trying to be so neutral. I felt more like myself when I wasn't hiding my thoughts to make someone else comfortable. It wasn't immediate. In fact, this is like ongoing still in this moment. But each time I speak up in a hard conversation or I post something that will make someone mad, I get better at it. I learn more about how I want to show up in the world I discover that being able to look at myself in the mirror is more important than letting people make incorrect assumptions about me because of my silence. And I do not do this perfectly. And I do not think that you have to beat every drum in every conversation on every issue. This is really a work in progress for me, but I have tangible bodily evidence that not sharing my stuff, that holding it in, that staying quiet, about what I think or believe, it makes me anxious, it makes me disconnected, and it makes me physically feel bad. I just don't feel good when I am stuffing that stuff down. And so that's kind of a nice lean into number nine. Number nine is, I have earned the right to change. That's right, I've earned it, so have you. It has taken me a really long time to shake off the belief that there's a moral value in staying the same, in staying true to your roots, in refusing to change. I grew up with these ideas, and I can see why a person's moral compass is taught this way, mainly because when you believe in absolute right and wrong, then how could you ever change that? To start off believing that something was wrong, and then change to believing that now it's okay. Well, that thing didn't change, you did. And so does that make you wishy-washy for changing how you believed about something? Does it make you a person with no character or no backbone? This has been one of my fears as I've changed over the years. But as you know better, you do better. And I'm constantly learning new things and new ways to think about things. I've done my due diligence. I've read and listened and prayed and opened doors that I previously kept shut real tight. I have earned the right to change because we all have the right to change. There is no change police. The change police are our families and whatever community culture we're part of. And worst of all, ourselves. Changing what I believe or what I wear, or how I make money, or what I say. It does not make me spineless or ignorant. 2020 was hard, but we did it. We have earned the right to be whoever we want to be. Finally, number 10, the 10th takeaway from 2020. Everything takes longer than you think it will. Writing a book. Organizing a closet, experiencing forgiveness, these things take time. And whatever time you've allocated for it, just go ahead and double it. You know, errands took longer in 2020 because of COVID restrictions. Work tasks took longer because my focus and attention span was weaker, honestly, I had whole days where I felt like I was moving through jello. And some emotions that used to come easy to me, they took longer to access. In 2020, it took me longer to get over things. It took me longer to come to conclusions. It took me longer to do anything. And once I accepted that I couldn't do very much quickly, that acceptance made it easier. I wasn't always fighting frustration. In a bigger picture way, there have been a lot of things in my life that have taken longer than I thought they should or than I wanted. Trusting the timing of how life unfolds, well, let's just say I'm working on it. But I made great strides in 2020, truly. And so that's why it's in one of my top 10 takeaways. Everything takes longer than you think it will. Those are my 10 takeaways for the year. I hope that it got your gears turning for the biggest lessons and the things that you learned this year. I hope that when you sit down with your journal or if you take the time to sit in stillness, that you're able to process through all the muck and confusion of 2020 and see some things with clarity. Do you have a word for 2021? Are you a person who chooses a word of the year? My word for 2020 was translate, and I'm not sure, given everything that's happened, that it really fulfilled its duty, (laughs) that word, but you know, I might've chosen differently if I'd had a crystal ball. I didn't know if I was going to choose a word for 2021, but there is one that keeps jumping out at me all over the place, and so I am rolling with it. My word for 2021 is ease. I know, this is risky to choose that word in a year where I'll be launching one book and writing a second book, but I'm leaning into it anyway. I think this word has something to teach me, and I hope that it's a good lesson. Plus, after 2020, ease might just be wishful thinking, but still, it's there. If you share any of your takeaways from 2020 on social media or your word of the year, please do tag the show at 10 Things to Tell You so I can see it. If this episode gave you something to think about, please do share it for others to find it. Sharing podcast episodes, it just means the world to podcasters, I promise. I'll be on social media this week and in the 10 Things to Tell You connection group on Facebook as this is the best time of year for reflection and fresh starts. So please do come say hi. Let's finish 2020 strong. And start 2021 with our best selves and our best intentions at the forefront. Thanks for listening. Now go share something. I'm Laura Tremaine and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 thingstotellyoucom slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10things to tell you. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend.